This may not come as a surprise to anybody, all right? No surprise. But we're living in stressful days, stressful times. Way more stressful than your grandpa's days. Way more stressful than my father's days, right? These are stressful times. Um, living on Long Island is stressful. Uh, we pay more taxes. The, the, the expense of living on Long Island probably is greater than about 97% uh, of the rest of the country. And, and that produces stress. Uh, driving past the mall uh, at any given time during the week can, can be a, a call for infinite patience so that you can get through the mall at particular times of the year. Uh, if you drive on the LIE, I, I suggest that we change it to the LIP because there's not much expressway in it. There's a lot of parking in it, you know, the Long Island parking lot, all right? But anyway... Uh, if you drive on 347, ever past the everlasting construction sites on 347, you know it is stressful. If you live west of here like I do and go to the corner of Lake Avenue and, and, uh, and on 347 and try to make a U-turn, when the guys coming down Lake Avenue are making a right turn on red and you have a green light or even a green arrow, for goodness sakes, and they hardly ever yield to your making a U-turn. It's not only stressful, it's dangerous, right? Uh, one of the reasons why probably the Automobile Club of America has uh, issued a report that, that there has been an increase in the number of road rage incidents on Long Island. They put out a uh, brochure for their members. Uh, I'm not a member, but I did... I uh, happened to catch uh, the information that was revealed uh, on this uh, helpful hints to avoid uh, road rage, right? So it, it starts off like this. All drivers need to take a deep breath at times and remember that the most important thing about your commute is getting to your destination safely. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Really helpful. Here are a few tips of how to avoid aggressive driving. Now, I got to tell you, I don't have a problem with aggressive driving. It's not my fault. It's the other guy who's driving aggressively, not me, right? So, so here's what they say. Don't offend. Avoid cutting off drivers. Apologize if you accidentally do so. Apologize. Did you ever try to communicate with somebody in another car by... If they don't read lips, what that might turn out to be, you know? So I suggest that you carry a sign with you that says, sorry, with a big smiley face, you know? You might get shot, but, but nevertheless, it's a, it's, a, it's a good idea, all right? Avoid tailgating and repeatedly honking your horn as these are, are things that anger other drivers, what about anger at me? <laughs> you know, avoid, avoid making inappropriate and offensive gestures. Now, now come on, I, I got to remind you, th th this is the Automobile Club of America, not the Christian Club of America. So, so, so that goes without saying, right? Number two, it says on the, on the category two, don't engage. If you notice an aggressive driver, do your best to get out of the way. Avoid any eye contact. Avoid any eye contact. Isn't that the same kind of 
warnings they give you in case you have a bear encounter. If you go to Yellowstone Park, you know, don't look at their eyes. You know. Adjust your attitude. Put yourself in the other driver's shoes. Would you like to be cut off, tailgated, or yelled at? If you find yourself getting angry while driving, again, take a deep breath. What's with this deep breath? And remember, any escalation in the situation will only make things worse. Now, I'm just wondering, the guy who wrote this, right, has he ever been behind the wheel of a car? You know, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, after having read this, I feel more stressed than less stressed. How about you? Listen, one of the ways that we can measure a nation's stress level is by the amount of money we spend on, on things like pharmaceutical drugs so that we can avoid stress and anxiety. Now, now I, I did a little research on this. Out of the top 20, I'm not I'm talking about, because there are hundreds of different drugs, right, sold, you know, uh, in pharmacies. But out of the top 20, do you know how much money we spend as a nation? $400 billion, just the first top 20 drugs that are sold in America. That's about the national uh, gross product of about several small uh, countries in Europe. I'm telling you, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of bucks. Out of the most lucrative drugs, you know, at the the top of the list, some are spent for, for the purpose of uh, you know, avoiding a heart attack. You know, it's heart medication. And, that, and that's good. That's okay. But a lot of them are anxiety and, uh, and stress-related medications. Followed on that list are, are sleeping aids, stuff to help you fall asleep. Apparently, none of us are getting enough sleep, which only adds to the anxiety and uh, stress and agitation. So, so I don't know if you ever heard of this drug called Lunesta. You ever, you ever see that? I went to their website. Lunesta's website pictures a young girl, a teenager, you know, uh, somebody that you would never imagine having a hard time sleeping. It's, you know, teenagers don't have a hard time sleeping. They have a hard time waking up. Isn't that true? And, and as this young girl, she's sleeping, right? And then, and then as you open up, as you go onto the webpage, you open up the page, a butterfly, this beautiful butterfly begins to just kind of flutter over the words, fall asleep, stay asleep, so you can wake up feeling rested. Rested. Rest. That's the magic word. That, that word, you know, is a marketable commodity. That what we desperately need in this nation is rest, right? And this is the promise of rest, right? Uh, you probably uh, have uh, heard that commercial. And, and the narrator goes something like this. He, he starts out by asking several questions. When you want to sleep, do you lie awake? Yeah. When you get to sleep, do you wake up often during the night? Yeah. And that's when the butterfly comes in. And then, and then it says, on the wings of Lunesta, sleep is here. You know, and here comes the And what could be more harmless than a, than a butterfly? And then they say this. The, the announcer says this. Some sleep aids are to help you fall asleep. Some sleep aids are to help you stay asleep. But Lunesta has been approved to help you fall asleep and to stay asleep. Sounds good, right? All right. You know, we'll try it. Then comes the rather disturbing warning, side effects. Until you know how how you will react to Lunesta, 
You should not drive or operate machinery, all right? I wasn't planning on operating a forklift, but all right, so we're going to be careful, right? Walking, eating, driving, and engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering the next day have been reported. That sounds like a great defense for a, a criminal lawyer, you know? Judge, it wasn't my client's fault, really. It was Lunesta, you know? Other abnormal behaviors include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, and confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. These risks may increase if you drink alcohol. Severe allergic reactions, such as swelling of the tongue and throat, occur rarely and may be fatal. It means you die. When your tongue swells and your throat swells and you can't breathe, you die. And then, and then the announcer comes back and says, need a good night's sleep? Lunesta. I, I think Lunesta, I think of l- lunacy, you know? So, so, so here's the thing. If, you, if, you're, if you're too anxious and you need something to help you fall asleep, if you take Lunesta, how could you ever possibly go to sleep? I mean, I would be afraid of waking up and operating some heavy machinery or doing something else that's crazy. And you know what? This is what all the world's promising. It's, it, it promises rest, but its side effects are devastating. What's a soul to do, right? Uh, the Atlantic Magazine uh, has a, an article published by a guy by the name of Scott Starsell. And uh, Starsell shares his attempts to uh, deal with the lifelong anguish of anxiety. And he describes himself as a twitchy bunch of neurosis. Or neuroses, I guess you'd say. So this is this this is what he writes. He says he says even when not actively affected by acute episodes of anxiety, he says I am buffeted by worry. In other words, the guy is stressed. He says here's what I've tried to do to deal with my anxiety: individual psychotherapy, three decades of it, family therapy, group therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, rational behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, hypnosis, meditation, role-playing, self-help, workbooks, massage therapy, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes I ordered in a late-night TV infomercial. You got to feel sorry for this guy. Medications, lots of them the majority of which I cannot even pronounce, including Prozac, Zolar, Paxel, uh, uh, Cymbala, uh, something like that, Valium. And 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 then he adds adds this. He He says, here's what worked. Nothing. And, you know, that's exactly the problem. He's tried everything except the right thing. And along comes, along comes Jesus. And Jesus gives this incredible promise of finding rest without any of the side effects, without any of the horrific warnings. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. That's the thing that we need more than anything else. We're desperate in need of rest. All who are weary and burdened, come to me and you'll experience rest for your soul. Matthew eleven twenty. So the title I want to talk to you about this morning is Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, which is simply another way of saying Jesus is the Lord of rest. Because the Sabbath was, was 
ordained by God to be a gift to man because God knows we need physical, emotional, and spiritual rest. And it was God's gift to man to bless him so that he would, one day out of the seven, that he would spiritually, physically, and emotionally find rest. And so Jesus enters a world of unrest with the promise that only he can provide rest for the weary soul. And this is so amazing. What, what, a, what a gracious, gracious offer that, that God would become for us our rest, that God would gift himself to us. Those of you, he says, that are burnt out, those of you that are anxious and, and, and stressed, come to me. And you'll find rest for your souls. I will become your rest. Those of you that are broken, those of you that are hurting, those of you in need of healing, come to me and you will find satisfaction. You will find rest for your soul. The title, Lord of the Sabbath, is a self-ascribed title that Jesus spoke. And at first glance, it may not seem like such a significant title, you know, in light of all of the other titles that we've looked at in this series, but, but it really is a biggie, especially in the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes. Because when Jesus announced that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, it escalated the tension between the scribes and Pharisees against Jesus. In fact, it became the driving force as to why they wanted to kill Jesus. It was a troublesome claim. So for Jesus to say that he was the Lord of the Sabbath really outraged the religious establishment because they, they knew and understand from Genesis chapter 2 that God ceased from all of his labor and on the seventh day he entered into his rest. And what Jesus was saying unequivocally was that he is God, that he is the Lord, sovereign of the Sabbath. He determines the parameters and defines what a Sabbath really is. And as a result, Confrontation exponentially escalated as a result of Jesus declaring himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, this conflict continued. And so what I want to do is I want to I take a look at the title in the context. And then I want to I see if we can apply the benefits of the Lord of the rest to our lives in a personal way. I, I like what Augustine says. Here's a quote. He says, he says, you, speaking about God, you have created us for yourself and our heart cannot be stilled until it finds rest in you. Well, it was simple, but such a true statement. There is a, a hole within the heart of every human being that cannot be filled unless God fills that hole. And, and we are unable to find this place of rest or peace or, 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 or purpose without God being the one to fill our life. If you have a relationship with Christ this morning, you need this message. If you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, you still need this message. If you've had a relationship with Christ in the past and have let it kind of slip away from you, Again, you need this message. And, and, and let, me, let, let me encourage you, as we were partaking of communion this morning, and, and I tasted the bread, it reminded me of the scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, that, that, that bread that we had this morning was delicious. 
And we believe that it should be delicious. It shouldn't be some dry piece of old bread because God is not anything that is dry and old, but is fresh and delicious and delightful. And, 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 and this is what I simply want to tell you this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, try, taste. That, that's what it means. You don't have to eat the whole thing of what we're serving this morning, but you have to begin by tasting by trying to see if there's reality to what we are sharing this morning as the free gift of God, that God will become to you a gift of rest. So let's take a look this morning at Mark chapter 2. We'll look at it in the context in which Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. So verse 23 says, on one Sabbath, and, and, and in fact, let me just say this, that many of the things that Jesus did, he did purposely on the Sabbath. He healed people on the Sabbath. He healed lots of people in the Gospels on the Sabbath. And so one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, whether they were barley grain or whether they were wheat, wheat, wheat grain fields, it doesn't really matter. But obviously they were ripe to the, to, to the point where the disciples, as they walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to them, look, why are, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are your disciples breaking the, the sabbatical law by plucking the, the ears of, of grain? And, and, and they would have had to rub them in their hands and then pop them in their mouth as they were eating them. They were hungry, you know. Now, the first thing that really, you know, just kind of jumps up at, it, at, it you, at it, me anyway, is, is, is what are the Pharisees and scribes doing hanging out with Jesus and the disciples? I mean, it's like they were constantly dogging Jesus, trying to find some fault in Jesus, trying to find... Something to discredit Jesus. And so they were always there, always listening, always watching, always ready to accuse. And, and here, here's an accusation that these guys are now breaking the Sabbath law. And therefore, listen, breaking the Sabbath was punishable by death. And so, and so what they're saying is your disciples are deserving of death because they are breaking the law. Now, I got, I got to tell you something. Uh, as they're walking along, you know, and, 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 and that's the way people got around is that they would walk through other people's, you know, fields and, and, and th- there would be paths for which they could walk through. And as they're walking through, they're just kind of pulling some of the, the heads of the grain off and, and just kind of rubbing in their hands and then popping it in their mouth, right? And just enjoying that. Now, for me personally, that's not my choice of snack. I'd rather have Snickers. Because when you're hungry, you just don't know. I mean, you're just not yourself, you know. <laughs> you see that commercial? All right. So, 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 so it, it, but it was nourishing to them. It was satisfying to them, right? Totally permissible according to Deuteronomy 23, 25. God made a gracious provision that when you're traveling through your neighbor's field, right? When you're traveling through your neighbor's field, you could... And, 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 and there's, the harvest is ready, you can have some, you know, uh, because God cares more about people than he does about the letter of the law. And so you can have some. Now, obviously, you couldn't get, get a sickle and a bushel and start harvesting your neighbor's crop, but that's not what they were doing. They were just plucking off some and just, and just eating it, enjoying it, and walking along, but now they're being accused. 
see, the Pharisees were extremely legalistic. I pointed out before in the past that you weren't allowed. Listen, you you could have a broken leg, a broken hip. You couldn't use a crutch or you couldn't use a cane to walk around or even a walking stick lest you unwittingly made a divot in the ground and therefore you would be accused of farming. Because if a seed happened to fall into that divot and began to sprout, you would be be liable for, according to them, according to their 24 chapters of of expanding on the the simple commandment, which was, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. 24 different chapters, all, all of these different... Listen, if, if a candle was lit, you couldn't blow it out. If a candle was unlit, you couldn't light it. There were lots of things that you could do and you couldn't do on the Sabbath. The woman couldn't look into a mirror because if she found the gray hair, she might be tempted to pull it out and that would be work. Imagine some of the things that they're talking about. You couldn't carry uh, uh, anything heavier than a dry fig. There's a lot of things that are heavier than a dry fig. Are you kidding me? You couldn't carry that. You couldn't leave a radish in salt because the radish would turn to a pickle and that would be working. And there's all kinds of rules and regulations. Now, let me tell you something. This is supposed to be rest, but this was anything but rest. It was bondage to them. I mean, there's an aspect in which this legalism becomes totally, listen, it becomes, it becomes insane. Uh, Tim, uh, Tim, Tim, Tim Keller shared uh, this thought that, that religion is the, is the default mode of the human heart. In other words, that we gravitate toward religion. The human heart gravitates toward religion. But what God is interested in is the transformation of the heart, not having a religious heart. I remember sharing a story uh, with you about something that happened in Brooklyn in an Orthodox neighborhood. There was a couple, an Orthodox couple. They had a fire in their apartment and the, and the, the young man went down and, and right next door to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, there's a fire in our apartment. Can we call the fire department? In other words, could we use the telephone? And the rabbi said, let me think about it. And a half hour later, he said, it's okay to call. See, because it was the Sabbath and it was, it was, you're not allowed to use a phone. And a half hour later, it was too late. All that they had were destroyed. I mean, it is, it is insane to be legalistic in that manner. Verse 25 says this. Jesus says, have you never read what David did when... He and his companions were hungry and in need. So Jesus brings out an incident from the life of David, but, but, but he starts out by saying, have you never read? I don't know, but, but that's a zinger Jesus was giving them. See, because they prided themselves on knowing the word of God, but they, they had a knowledge, a head knowledge of the word of God, but their heart was far from God. They were religious and so Jesus said, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And the incident that he's talking about was when David was fleeing from Saul, who was trying to kill him. And, and look at the parallel. These Pharisees and scribes were trying to kill Jesus. And so he says in verse 26, in the days of Abiathar, 
the high priest, he, David, entered the house of God, the tabernacle, and ate the consecrated bread or the showbread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. They would take 12 loaves at the beginning of the week, and they would present them before the Lord as the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. At the end of the week, they would put fresh bread there, and the bread that was there was now, was now not to be thrown away, but to, but to be eaten by the priest alone. And so David comes and he's in need. He's, he's fleeing from Saul and he says, do you have any food? And the priest says, we have, we have showbread. We have the, this consecrated bread. And he gives it to David and to his men. And then Jesus gives us this amazing statement in verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys have got it backwards. You, you think that man was created so that he can serve the Sabbath? No, you don't understand that the Sabbath was ordained to serve man, not for man to be, to be its slave. And you have, have, have made the people in Judaism slaves to your vain and empty traditions. It was God's provision for them to be free for them to be enjoying the relationship with God. But, but this was anything but freedom. It was bondage. And you know what? We, we, we likewise wrestle against and we struggle with many of the letters written in the New Testament, the, the letter to the Ephesians, were, 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 were letters about falling from grace. You fall from grace, not when you enter into sin, but you fall from grace when you try to legalistically win your approval to God. That's what it means to fall from grace. And so even today, to, 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 to choose legalism over grace is absolutely insane. And yet we still have to war against becoming legalistically minded. So in verse 28, Jesus said, so the Son of Man is Lord, sovereign, even of the Sabbath. Scribes and Pharisees substituted the traditions of men for the Word of God. They made the Word of God of void and of none effect. Because they were so fanatical, it was based upon a self-righteous pride of of." of of winning God's approval, of letting God become debtors to their works. But in reality, they were creating a burden on the people that they themselves would not even attempt to lift with their finger, which no one could possibly achieve. And so Jesus, in this setting, this is why Jesus says, come unto me, all of you that are burnt out and that are struggling and striving and I will give you I'll give you freedom from this system of trying to please God by the works of the flesh for by the works of the flesh shall no man be justified see there's a world of difference between grace and legalism and I don't know if you have a tendency toward, toward gravitating toward that, toward, toward some of the things that Doug shared this morning in, in communion and, and, and not being free from guilt and condemnation. That's because legalism wants to suck you back in. For whom the Son makes free is free indeed. There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Believe that. Enter into the rest that God has provided for us. Now, now, now there is a wonderful parallel right, between 
between spiritual rest and, and physical rest, between spiritual strength and between physical strength. Now, now just think about this. Somebody who is weightlifting or is working out, you are not getting stronger in the process of working out. You do not, even though it may be just a real heavy workout, you're not getting stronger in that moment. It's not, you see, what's happening in that moment when, when you're exercising is you're actually breaking down your muscle. Your, your muscle is being torn away. The, the fabric of your muscle uh, is being stretched and it's being torn and ripped. And, 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 and that happens so, so, so miraculously, right? But when you build up strength is during the the process of rest. That's when the body assembles the amino acids and the proteins to now rebuild the muscle. And when it rebuilds the muscle, it rebuilds it stronger than before. You see, when we're going through trials and adversities and in difficulties, that's not when we're at our strongest. No, we are at our strongest when we learn how to rest in the love of Christ. And we enter into that rest. And that rest for us becomes, becomes the way in which we become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love Isaiah chapter 30. It's one of my favorite verses. I, I quote it all the time. It says, in, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what the Lord of the Sabbath would say to us this morning. Only in turning and resting in me will you be saved. And the word saved there is, is, is deliverance. It is, it is healing. And it is salvation as well. But it is a compound word that has, has a variety of meanings. So if you're here this morning and you need to be set free, you, you need to be healed. You need to be delivered from anxiety and from stress and from, and from worry. He says, in turning to me and in rest shall be your strength. In quietness and confidence is your strength. There is a quiet confidence that can come to us when we enter into our rest. And I want you to think of it like this. I want you to picture a doorway. And that doorway is Christ. And when you enter into him and he enters into you, over and above that doorway is is rest. And that rest begins with, listen, it begins with the forgiveness of sins. It begins when you know that your sins have been, as Doug said, nailed to the cross, that your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more, that the promise of the new covenant is this, that I will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. And what God says is is that he will give you a new heart and he will write his laws upon your heart. That's the promise of God. That's what God is is wanting to do for, for those who by faith will enter into the doorway of the Son of God, and they enter into rest. Now, I want to give you 10, 10 commandments this morning that will be a, a stress buster or a stress reducer in your life, all right? So follow along with me. Number one, you shall not attempt to be perfect. You shall not attempt. You are not perfect. There's only one person who's perfect. So stop trying to be perfect. People who are under the, the, the compulsion of perfectionism, they're their worst enemies. Because you could never be perfect. 
don't mean that you shouldn't strive to be excellent, but there's a world of difference between trying to be excellent and doing the best that you possibly can, but then always coming short of perfection because, because that's the way that it will be. Number two, you shall not attempt to be all things to all people. Oh, there's only one person that can be all things to all people, and that's Jesus Christ. So stop trying to be all things to, to everyone at every moment of the day. Be set free from that. Number three, you shall be willing to leave some things undone. Now, I, 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 I'm just the opposite of that. I, I believe in finishing what I start. And I, and I think that's a good philosophy. But, th- but there are some things that you, if you can't, you just can't drive yourself crazy. This is to relieve stress in your life, all right? Number four, you shall not spread yourself too thin. And isn't that, isn't that probably part of the problem is that we tackle too much. We, we take on too many things. Number five, you shall schedule time for yourself. You know, we're always putting others before ourselves and putting our children before ourselves and our grandchildren before ourselves and our spouses before ourselves. And when, and when, and when we do that, we don't have time to, to, to get refreshed and to, and to rest ourselves, you know? Uh, th- there's a great verse in the Gospels where Jesus says to the disciples, come, let us come apart. And, and they took a little vacation. They went down to Tyre and Sidon. And I say it like this. You need to sometimes come apart so that you don't fall apart, right? You need a break, right? Number six, you shall learn to say no. Everybody say no. Boy, you weren't very convincing. No, learn to say no. Okay. Number seven, you shall be willing to be still and know that he's God. You know, and, 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 and this is probably one of the most important. In those stressful situations where we don't have an answer, we need to turn to God and, and, and know that he's God. You know, the, the scripture says, but they that know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. N- knowing God really is the key to so many of the stress-related issues of our life. Number eight, you shall not feel guilty for saying no. Don't feel guilty about it. Number nine, you shall not be your worst enemy by beating yourself up over any of the above, all right? So that covers it all. Don't be your worst enemy. Don't beat yourself up. Now, I know I'm talking to a bunch of people this morning. Come on, guys. Number 10, you shall find rest when you make it your practice to rest in Christ. He promised that. He said, you will find rest for your souls. That, that, that elusive thing that we so desperately need, that we're searching for, that people are spending billions of dollars on to try to find moments of peace, moments of rest. Jesus offers it freely without side effects. These are great stress reductions principles, right? But maybe, maybe the best ones are, are, are that which come directly from the word, like be still and know that I'm God. Casting all of your cares and your worries upon me because I care for you. God cares for you. He, he, he cares about you more than you care for yourself. That's the point, that some of us are not taking care of ourselves. 
What I want you to know simply this morning is this, is that when you find rest for your soul, you'll find a new find quiet confidence and strength. You'll find a new found quiet confidence and strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And on this day that we call the day of rest, I pray today, Father, that we will actually and practically and experientially enter into the rest that you provide, the rest that you promise, the rest that you offer. And Jesus, we want to take you up on that offer. And if there's anyone here this morning that has never, never received Jesus Christ, I want to just give you that opportunity this morning to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you do so with a simple conversation that starts something like this. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Give me a new heart. Transform this heart of mine into a new creation. I believe that you died and that you rose again. You were my substitute. And I receive you by faith this morning. In Jesus' name. If you did that, just go ahead and tell somebody today before you leave this service or come up for prayer. We'd be happy to pray with you. But I, I just pray now, Father, for everyone, every, every single one of us that is in desperate need of rest. The rest that you alone provide. I, I pray now that we would enter a new phase of our life, a new experience of what this rest really is all about. Where we're no longer striving where we're walking in the achievements of the one who alone is perfect, that his perfect righteousness covers us, that there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So Lord, I, I thank you this morning and I, I thank you for this series, Lord God. And as we wrap it up next week, I, I, pray, I, pray, I pray that we will have a greater revelation of exactly who Jesus Christ is. And we said together, amen.